Okay, answer to the reading question. A normalized angular wave function is called the spherical harmonic. Then um, there were some other questions people submitted. On slide 13, magnets are set up in the z direction, then that separates electrons into up and down spin in the z directions. After that, the magnets in the x direction alter the up spin electrons in the z direction. So after they go through the magnetic field that's pointed in the x direction, then they're either spin up or spin down in the x direction because the screen is two-dimensional and the, soft, the software just shows everything on two dimensions schematically. Those aren't the physical dimensions. Uh, what property of a spherical harmonic causes M to represent a magnetic property? Um, nothing really. So the idea is that M represents the Z component of your angular momentum. So if there was a magnetic field that happened to be pointed along the Z direction, uh, and you, <coughs> and it's a charged particle, then that acts like a current loop and there's a dipole moment like we went through. And so there's a coupling, angular momentum dot magnetic field. And if the magnetic field is in the z direction, then that dot product will be proportional to the z component of the angular momentum, which is given by m times h bar. But there's nothing intrinsically magnetic about it. So I guess since it was the first reading assignment, the computer got confused. But in general, reading assignments are always due an hour before class. So if you didn't uh, have time to do it or misunderstood or got confused by the computer, send me an email with your answers. Okay. one dimension of space, and now we get to do three dimensions. The Schrodinger equation is the same, except now the position depends on three coordinates. So classically, a Hamiltonian is kinetic term plus potential term. And we can rewrite the kinetic term in a nice way. We can write one over twice the mass times momentum squared, which is dx squared plus dy squared plus dz squared. <coughs> then we still have our potential term. And from one dimension, you remember that you replace this classical momentum by an operator. So tx becomes h bar over i d by dx. And then we just do the same thing for y and z. dy is proportional to d by dy, and dz is proportional to d by dz. So we can write our 3D Schrodinger equation. <coughs> In a simple way, we put grad squared momentum squared term. And there's a minus h bar squared over 2m multiplying it. And you're supposed to know from some previous class 
ln squared is d by dx squared plus d by dy squared plus d by dz squared. So it's just like one dimension, except uh, it's three dimensions. Very simple. So this wave function gives us now some probability per unit volume instead of probability per unit length in one dimension. modulus squared of the wave function, which is the complex conjugate of the wave function times the wave function at some point, at some time, that gives <coughs> probability density. And usually we like to normalize our probabilities. So if we integrate over all of space, modulus of the wave function squared over all three dimensions, that should be one because we've normalized the wave function. If we didn't, then we'll take that integral and divide by the square root, and then it will be normalized. So for the first uh, half of the course or more, we're only going to worry about sign-independent potentials. And then we can try to use the separation variables. So instead of being a function of r and t, be a product of a function of time, we'll call phi, and the lowercase psi will have the spatial events. So if we plug this type of solution into our Schrodinger equation, Now the left-hand side, all the time dependence is on the left-hand side. Phi depends on t, but it doesn't depend on r. Right-hand side only depends on r. It doesn't have any time dependence. So that means they have to be equal to a constant, independent of both time and space. And we usually call that constant e. thing over here acting on psi, this is still our Hamiltonian. So whatever that constant <coughs> uh, is, must be an eigenvalue of the Hamiltonian operator. There can be many different eigenvalues. It has to be one of them. Then we can solve our time-dependent equation. equation for phi becomes ih bar d phi dt equal to e times phi. And you probably
probably solved that equation before. Solution is an exponential. So phi is some constant times u to the minus i dt over h bar. So we get this simple exponential dependence on time. And so for <coughs> problems with time-independent potentials, we just get this oscillating phase out front. And most of the time, <coughs> when we calculate probabilities, that phase is just going to cancel out. So for these time-independent problems, they're time-independent. We don't care about the time dependence usually. Um, the rest of the equation, now we have um, a time-independent Schrodinger equation. So here we have a Hamiltonian. If we multiply this part through by psi, we have Hamiltonian acting on lowercase psi equals e times psi. So now e is just that eigenvalue that we need to find. <coughs> but there's no time dependence left. So in general, we can write the whole solution. So we might we can set things up so that our state is not in one particular eigenstate. Or it's not an eigenstate of the Hamiltonian. It could be a superposition of eigenstates. So in general, the most general solution is some coefficient, constant coefficient, multiplying e to the minus e n p over h bar. So n labels which eigenvalue it is. And each eigenvalue has an eigenfunction. So given given that Hamiltonian, what which depends on which potential we're interested in, there'll be a bunch of different wave functions, which are the eigenfunctions of that Hamiltonian. They come with some eigenvalues. And the most general solution is a linear superposition of this phase times those eigenfunctions. And uh, if we get really fancy, there could be a continuum of eigenfunctions, not just a discrete set. So then there would be an integral here. For example, if there was no potential, then the solutions are just plane waves. But we'll, <laughs> we'll start out with simple discrete cases. So that's all fine and abstract, let's do a particular problem. So on page 30, last quarter, you looked at the one-dimensional infinite square well. So now we can do a 3D infinite well.
signs. separation of variables. So let's try a solution. The function capital X of X, capital Y is a function of Y, and capital Z is a function of Z. So we're assuming <coughs> independent, it's a product of independent functions for each direction. So if we plug that into our time independent Schrodinger equation, we'll have energy times those three functions. Equal to the Hamiltonian acting on the product of those. So the first term there's a d by dx squared by dx squared. But that doesn't act on y and z. So we can pull y and z through. Then there's a term d squared by dy squared, but that doesn't act on x and z. And there's a term with dz squared squared by dz squared, so we can pull x and y through. And then there's the potential multiplying x, y, z. And from your 1D study of the infinite square well, you know that any, any sensible solution when the potential is infinite, then the wave function is going to have to be zero. And inside the box, the potential is zero. So it doesn't matter what the wave functions are for this term. So as long as we impose that the wave function goes to zero at the boundaries, then we don't have to worry about this term, because it's always zero after that. So if we divide through by x, y, z, then on the left-hand side we'll just have e to the square squared. This term only depends on x. This term only depends on y. This term only depends on z. So each of them have to be a constant. So we'll call this one kx squared. We'll call this one 
y squared plus 1kz squared. could be positive or negative as far as we, we know. Um, so you've solved this type of equation before too. Depending whether this coefficient is positive or negative, you either <coughs> get uh, exponential or sines and cosines. But we know that we want our wave function go to zero when we get to the edge of this box. So if it's an exponential, then it's not going to do that. So we want sines and cosines. So we want this coefficient to be negative. So we're imposing that x equals zero, that little x equals zero, and little x equals L sub x. So at this point, it's just like the one-dimensional infinite square well. So in general, we could uh, pick a solution of sines and cosines. But since we've chosen our coordinate system so that one edge is along x equals 0, and we want it to vanish there, then we know the solution is just going to be a sine. So sine of 0 is 0, and cosine of 0 is 1. So there's no cosine part. <coughs> so we need to check that at the other boundary it vanishes. So our solution is going to be x is some constant times sine k sub x times x. So we need to check that this thing is going to vanish at x equals L sub x. So put in sine of k sub x, L sub x has to be 0. So this is going to give us some condition on k. And this is how we're finding the eigenvalues of the Hamiltonian. By, imposing, by finding the solution of the differential equation and imposing the boundary conditions, the boundary conditions will impose some quantization on this parameter. So for this to be true, kx lx has to be some multiple of pi, which we'll call nx. <coughs> so kx is nx pi over lx. And then we can do the same thing for y and z. And we'll get ky is ny pi over ly. 
sine independent Schrodinger equation. We'll get an equation that tells us that E is h bar squared over 2m times kx squared plus ky squared plus kz squared, which is h bar squared chi squared over 2m for the eigenvalues of the Hamiltonian specified by three quantum numbers. Remember, in one dimension it was specified by one quantum number, so it's not surprising that in three dimensions the separable will be three times as many. The general wave function is then labeled by three, the three quantum number, the function of x, y, and z, constant times sine nx pi x over ln sine ny pi y over ly sine nz pi z over lz So what's the lowest energy state? What are the quantum numbers of the lowest energy state? side issue that becomes important later when we actually study atoms. But the problem is a lot simpler if we take all the <coughs> sides of the box to be the same. So let's say that all the sides are, have length L. So then the energy of the lowest state is 1 squared plus 1 squared plus 1 squared I squared H bar squared over 2ML squared. And we'll call that this, the quantum number part is 3. And we'll call this thing E sub 1. So why do I care about this special case when the sides are all the same length? Because when I look at the excited states, there are going to be different solutions with the same energy. Do you guys do any degeneracies? Do you want 
have to rig up a special kind of I can't think of one offhand how you could do it. So it's not surprising that you didn't do it. Now let's look at the excited states. So first excited state, we could increase one of these guys to two. So which one do we increase? We could do any one of them. And that would, they'd all have the same energy. So E21, one, one equals E121 one equals E112. One, one and that's two squared plus one squared plus one squared times E1, which is 61. So the reason we're getting this degeneracy is that when the sides of the box are the same, then there's no distinction between x, y, and z. There's a symmetry that you could matching in interchanging them. So when all three of the quantum numbers are the same, there's only one possible state, right? Because interchanging three identical numbers doesn't do anything. You have two of the same, then there's three possible states. So if two are the same, then you just have to pick where to put the odd guy. And there's three places you could put, pick the odd guy. If they're all different, you can check that there's six different ways of arranging three different numbers. Let's look at the, there's also weird things that happen. We look at E333, three, 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 three squared plus three squared plus three squared is 27. And if we look at E511, that's 5 squared plus 1 squared plus 1 squared is 27 E1. So what's the symmetry that uh, relates these two guys? That's the correct answer. There's no symmetry that relates these two guys. This is just a, some numerical accident. So you can have degeneracies because of symmetries, and you can have accidental degeneracies. You're trying to figure out experimentally you have a system, that, and you're measuring the spectrum. You need to be careful that if there are degeneracies, you need, probably want to resolve the different types of wave functions. These correspond to different wave functions, but they have the same energy. You need additional information to resolve those degeneracies. Let's try an estimating problem. Suppose I put an electron in a one nanometer cube. What's the typical energy for that system? 
the answer while you guys do it in your heads. Physicists, where's your envelopes? Sorry. You guys know how to do back of the envelope estimates, right? You know what Planck's constant is? One times ten to the minus thirty-four joule seconds, which is not so useful. <coughs> Let's just do it. Three pi squared h bar squared over twice the mass times the length squared. <coughs> Electron mass is nine point one one times ten to the minus thirty one kilograms. Nanometers, 10 to the minus 9 meters. So, order of magnitude, this 31 will cancel 31 of those, so we'll be left with a minus 3. And then there'll be That cancels one of those. So we get minus 3. We still have minus 34 from the other guy. We have plus 18 from that. And that's about 10. So uh, this will give us minus uh, 16, minus 19, minus 18. So when I put it, well, there's another 10 here. You get 1.8 times 10 to the minus 19 joules. Which is why we'll never use joules when we do quantum mechanics. Because it's too big a unit. You can convert to electron volts. So if I give you this quantum numbers of this particle in a box, you guys could tell me what the most probable location is now. So if I said it was in the 1 to 1 state, what's the most likely position in the box for it to be sitting at? Just in terms of L, no numbers. 
we look at the wave functions for nx equals 1, <coughs> the wave function looks like that. So the most probable location is in the middle. If we look at the y wave function 2, so that means there's a node. So that means it could be sitting there or there. Those are equal, equally likely once we, we have to square that to get a probability. <coughs> so that's L over 4, 3L over 4. And then Z wave function, and it's just 1. So it's L over 2 again. <coughs> Let's go back to this degeneracy problem. So if we change the length of one of the sides, then we're going to break some of the
should be questions because I went way too fast. What is compared to last year? It's much faster. Questions? Yeah. What if we still don't still have any questions? Well, then there's office hours <laughs> Thursday at four. Um, there's rereading the book. Uh, there's bugging your neighbors after class. <laughs> there must be, there's at least two people in the room who this is totally easy for and they'll be happy to help you, in addition to me and Jameson, if we're too intimidating. Are we going to be doing any, like, I know last quarter we did the multiple states where we had, like, you know, the direct location was, like, um, like the, you know, plus or minus thing for the states. Right? Are we going to be doing anything like that for the tree system? Or for the tree system? For the tree dimension. Free. Um, I think when we do harmonic oscillators, we'll be using that notation. But it, that, if you're just talking about bras and cats versus wave functions, it's, it's just notation. You can do it either way, whichever way you feel comfortable with. Sometimes it's easier to write bras and cats for some problems. So you can do it either way. So I'm taking <laughs> an x and y and z is equal to <coughs> 1, 2, 1. And then I know that the wave function was uh, nx pi over l times x and y multiplying y. So I'm just sketching what those sine functions are when I put in uh, nx is 1. And we impose, we know that at 0, if I draw the thing properly, this is the x part of the wave function, the thing we call the capital X. It's just this sine. And we impose that it vanished at x equals 0, and it vanished at x equals L. And whether it's plus or minus doesn't matter because for probabilities we're squaring it. So this wave function has a maximum there. If it was a wave on a string, right, that would be the maximum amplitude of the vibration. For a quantum mechanics problem, that's the maximum of the probability density. So that's the most likely position. And then this y part of the wave function. And our potential said that it always vanishes at the boundaries of the cube. But since we've excited that we've put in some energy in the y direction, so we have an excited state in the y direction. So there's an extra node in the wave function. That's usually what happens when you go to excited state. Put more nodes in the wave function. Essentially, I mean, the wave, the wave number is the derivative of this wave function. So by putting in a bigger n, we're putting in a bigger wave number. So there's more momentum in that direction. So there's more nodes. <coughs> Let me show you a picture.
see it. It's thinking. Okay. Okay, so here is a particle in a box. So what's been done is each dot, we've prepared the same system with the same quantum numbers many <coughs> times, and then taken measurements over and over again. Each time we take a measurement, it's in some random place because it's quantum mechanics. So we make a little dot where that measurement was. And now, after collecting all those positions, it's rotating around so you can see the structure. So you should be able to read off what the quantum numbers of this particle in the box are. Yeah? One, three, two. One, three, two. Yeah, depending on what you call x, y, and z. So does everyone see that there's uh, three bumps in the vertical direction? So it must have quantum number three in that direction. And there's two bumps this way and one bump on that axis. So there's, it's some combination of one, two, and three. <coughs> so this is just plotting the probability density given those signs that we worked out. This is much more fun than solving the equation though. So this is also good when we do when we actually do atoms, the patterns are much more complicated than these signs. If you've uh, got that far in the chapter, you've seen the, the wave functions for a hydrogen atom are much fancier. So we'll, we'll have some uh, pretty movies of those too. So does everyone see the, the quantum numbers? If you don't, last chance. If no one asks a question, I'm going to start the circle coordinates.
here we have spherical coordinates. We have a position r. Uh, that vector makes an angle theta with respect to the z-axis. And this projection onto the xy plane makes an angle phi with respect to the x-axis. So y is r sine theta sine phi. And x is r sine theta cos phi z is r cos theta. And the crucial thing that we need to know, since what we're interested in, we're going to get to hydrogen atoms soon, we're interested in the potential that is only a function of the distance from the origin. So it only depends on the modulus of the vector, the length of the vector, not on its direction. So for those problems, We'll just write v of r without a vector on top. For those problems, it's good to use spherical coordinates. But we'll need to know how to write the Hamiltonian in spherical coordinates. And fortunately, you've done this before in one of your other courses. So we need more coordinates. enough excitement for one day, I think. Any other questions? So my office hours are going to be Thursday at 4. First problem set's due Friday at 10. Yeah? You said Tuesday at 4 earlier. Is it Thursday or Tuesday? Thursday. You might learn some quantum mechanics if you go to a high energy physics <coughs> experimental class. No papers? Okay, I'll see you Wednesday.